Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to the Des Bishop Podcast. No need for much of an intro today because we have John Bishop. For those that don't know John Bishop, that being the... 20 listeners we have in the United States of America. Uh, John is one of the UK's most successful comedians. Uh, Working class Liverpool boy done well. And uh, I chatted with John while in Spain. Now let me quickly explain that myself and John were looking to catch up. I had said I would pop over to Cheshire where he lives to perhaps play around the golf and you know just have a chat. And uh Somehow, we ended up in Spain uh, and spent three days together. So this podcast is recorded over two days in Spain. And I apologize for the sound quality. On the second half of the discussion, we were in John's car. And normally when I'm driving around, I use different types of mics. But because John had a manual transmission, uh, we couldn't do as much mic holding. So I had to use the, the mic that comes with my Zoom recorder, which is not a bad mic, but it picks up a lot more atmospheric sound than the way I normally record. Uh, I still think the sound quality is okay, but not to the standards that the Des Bishop podcast has set so far. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy John Bishop. All right. Here we are with John Bishop still looking at his phone. He's a busy guy. I know, I know I am, but um, it's because I'm responding to an email to to my wife and uh, I've got to make a decision whether to continue communicating with her or communicate with you. And although our relationship goes up and down... Uh, both You're talking about your wife. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> mine and yours and my wife. My, there's a chance on a good day I'll have sex with her, but I will never, <laughs> I'll never have sex with you, so I'm going to finish this I email. recommend... I recommend looking after that one, <laughs> you know? But I am glad that I started it while you were emailing because that's a great start. Well yeah, done, yeah, John. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, right. So while you're finishing the email, I'll explain to our listeners. I'm here with John Bishop. Uh, I'm not going to say the exact location, but we are on an island in the Mediterranean off the coast of Spain, still included in the nation of Spain. Yeah, yeah, that begins with them. Now, you know, I li- I've kept it a secret for a long time, but as your first cousin... You know, I've always, <laughs> as your first cousin, you know, I think it's eventually time for us to come out, you know? <laughs> of course, we're not cousins, but a lot of people do ask me. I, I've been asked, and you know why? Because, and I think, I, I think, I think there's something in it. Because f- f- me, you, you're Aiden. Aiden is very like, Aiden has v- a very similar face yeah, shape to you. We, we've got, you look a, a lot like, you look like my brother Eddie. Your other brother doesn't look like any of us. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, yeah. Well, I, you know, years ago, I, I remember saying to somebody, oh, we should do a thing where we, me and John Bishop see how far back we have to go uh, to, fi- you know, to find out if there's any I, connection. I, I but th- then somebody yeah. said to me that it's a bit like Dave Gorman's thing where he was looking for other Dave Gormans or whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I, yeah but I think, I think we'll, we'll have to go back to, to 
to the potato fam, that'll be it. Yeah, but the thing is that that side of your dad's side of the family is the English side, no? Well, yeah. Oh, I did that. Who do you think you are? And found out that my great great granddad, uh, which is the story that they followed, uh, he was the one who took the family to Liverpool. Was English. He was actually a Cockney of all things. Um, but my mum's side's very Irish, and that what happens is you forget it's you forget how many how many people's genes are in your body because you have two parents, but you have four grandparents, but you have eight great grandparents, mm. so and then it just goes up and up and up. So if someone says he's my great 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 granddad, there's a chance he's everyone's great great granddad. You know, he's yeah, that incredible yeah, amount yeah. of uh, spread. Exactly. When you go that far exactly. back. Exactly. And I think the bishop gene has often been spread around <laughs> quite a bit. <laughs> well, More about you than if me. We're talking, if we're talking about uh, blacklight stuff, <laughs> then, then, then it's everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everywhere in Australia, uh, the UK, Ireland, and the United States of America. Oh, and uh, the Czech Republic in an apartment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matter. We're not going <laughs> to get into that. But, uh, yeah, no, but I mean, it is a weird thing. But I have always felt that you know, part of our sort of friendship slash, you know, like bond has been the name thing, even though we became yeah. friends. But it's just that weird thing. It's, it's, it's very you, weird. Pe- before you broke big in the UK, you'd come to Ireland and people would be like, anything to Des Bishop. And now, ev- in Ireland and the UK, people say to me, are you anything well, to John Bishop? Well, it was, yeah, yeah, it was funny because I remember I, I, I broke through in Ireland. Um, in fact, the day I left my job, the day I left full-time employment working for a pharmaceutical company, the very day I flew to Dublin to do Liffy Laughs, which was a show on... Oh, the Liffy Laughs, that's right. So I did that, uh, and that was my first telly spot. So my first telly spot doing stand-up was in was in Ireland on the day that I left my job. Oh, and really? I, uh, yeah, yeah. And, the, um, and then the first break on, on television... I, d- I did the blame game in Northern Ireland as a panel show, and then I did the panel. Colin Murphy yeah, recommended you were pretty me regular. to the, and then I ended up doing the panel quite a bit. And I and I loved it, I really did. But it meant that I, I was growing an audience in Ireland without realizing. Then I started getting gigs, and I started tearing up. And it was uh, there was that palpable sense of disappointment where I was the wrong bishop. People yeah, would say, no, which I don't think is actually <laughs> true, but people have said that to me. In in Edinburgh in 2012, some people did say to me, I, I, you're great show. I mean, really great. I actually thought I was coming to see John Bishop. You know, <laughs> but I don't know if it's true or not, but you, you, you definitely do get that. Now, I don't want to talk to you much about your past, but, you know, because I know you're now a while in your new life. Yeah. And when I say your new life, I mean your your super famous successful life because I knew you in your middle life which was your average comedian life yeah <laughs> no but I all joking aside I I uh, for some reason the last couple of days I was thinking about how much does John remember about just being a guy that works for a pharmaceutical company like how how present is that still in your mind you know what it's, that's actually a good question because I found in uh, in a sunglasses case I have no idea why, but I found in a sunglasses case my old business card. So it says John Bishop, sales uh, and transplant, sales and marketing manager, transplantation department. Because I was responsible for a, an immunosuppression which stops your 
Reach, uh, hinders your immune system and therefore stops your immune system rejecting organs after the transplant. Mm. That that's what I did. So I was responsible for the sales of that, which you don't sell. You know what you do? It's you you inform people about it, but you're not going to go around to a doctor and say, "Listen, can you knock out a couple of transplants yeah, for any, this? any bad kid? <laughs> yeah, you just, just give him a push. Get, get him out. Get him <laughs> out, and then get this. So get people drinking more. Hey, get, you look get like you liver. can't breathe. You got cystic fibrosis. <laughs> yeah, Have you thought about getting a transplant? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all that. You know, you need a drink, so you've got cirrhosis of the liver. Have a transplant. <laughs> but it's, but it was very, very interesting job to do, and I, uh, I was only speaking to Melanie, my wife, about it last week. Last week we were literally having the conversation because we were talking about, you know, changes in life and where we're up to, and our kids sure. are leaving home, and you know, I'm gonna. I've got that midlife thing because I'm going to be 50 this year. You'll have all of those things. Yeah, you're at a real check check yourself moment in your yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. And you go, what would have happened if I hadn't left? You know, what would have happened if I'd have carried on that life? And where would it be now? And how would I feel about it? And how would I feel about me? You know, because a lot of things have been wonderful since, you know, the, the, the and I feel incredibly lucky that the way things have panned out but I'd never left the job thinking this would be the result I left the job because there was something about me knew if I didn't I would regret it forever mm. I would feel I'd trapped myself because I was you know in me late 30s when I was started to pick up some traction as a stand up comedian and when you say that you mean you were just making a living you weren't you, like... Yeah, well, listen, you, I, you I, mean, didn't know that I didn't leave my job till I was 40. What happened is I'd, I first walked on stage to do a first open spot the month before I turned 35. I then I then did open spots. Uh, yeah, I did open spots then. But you know, like you do for a year. Sure. But I didn't really do them that long. I started just in Liverpool, paid. right? Or just in Manchester Ma- and Manchester, Liverpool, right? I started getting paid quite quickly and I had no concept I didn't know anyone who did comedy so I had no concept of of how good I was or how bad I was or how quickly I was getting moved on so I had no perception of where it would go but I knew I reached a point where I thought I could probably make a living probably and if I don't I can supplement it with other things and the reason that I'm not taking the chance that I'm going to go to is because I'm a married man with three kids mm. And if I don't bite the bullet and have a go, in five or ten years' time, I'm going to blame them for it. I'm going to be the man that says, you know, I could have done this, but I didn't because I, I had to keep a job that I had the wage for you lot. And I thought, I just don't want to be that coward. But, like, when you were sitting in the, when you were still doing the job, when you were still, like, in the pharmaceutical game, were you starting to sit there going, like, I, I don't want to be doing this? Or was it more... I'd rather be doing the other thing. I didn't do stand-up thinking I was going to do it as a job. I did it, and then it became like a bit of a hobby, then a bit of a you know a bit of a hobby that there was a little bit of money, in, and then I was thinking, well, this is good. But it was coming at the right time in my life because I began to realise I'd gone to, I'd done, I'd done the traditional thing of, well, I'll say the traditional thing wasn't the traditional thing. I grew up on a council estate and the aspiration was to 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 like get a job that was it and i I got a job when i was 16 i went back to school to do a levels what we do in in england 
And uh, at the time, uh, my dad wasn't working. My, uh, my brother and my two sisters were both on things called schemes that they had in, sure. in, in the UK. So they were... And I was the youngest one. I wanted to go back and do A-levels. And when you did A-levels in England, you got um, a thing called this family allowance, which is a family support thing. I'll, I'll never forget it because it was £6.50 a week. And that's how you... you so if you were staying on, you got £6.50 a week. And... Uh, and no, j just just for my own head, had you left school for a while? No, so what happened? You yeah. do... You do, you do, you do you go up to 16. Yeah. And then, it, then if you left... GCSE, yeah, right? yeah. And then if you left... You went and did, uh, you know, signed on the dole or got a job or like or uh, yeah. apprenticeship or, or or like a lot of my friends joined the army because there was no, there was literally nothing to do. It was the mid eighties. There was no yeah. real work, uh, or you went back. And if you went back instead of the dole was, I I, re I remember all the figures. The dole was seventeen pounds twenty five. The family allowance was six pound fifty. So if you went back and did A levels, you your family got six pound fifty. If you signed on the dole, they got more money. And like like it's a pittance the difference. But it mattered. And in fact I remember I remember one lad who was in the school, uh Khan, who was a, a really bright kid. And he 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 left. He he started doing A levels and he left in the November because the family couldn't afford it. I mean, that's just, yeah. that's, you know, I was th we're talking £11 a week. So when people talk whether poverty has an effect on the uh, educational aspirations of the kids who are living in it, I mean, I, I saw it first. And what happened with me is I went back to sixth form wearing jeans on the first day and the school said, you can't wear jeans. And I went, well, like, I can't ask my mum and dad to go on, but these are good jeans. They're, they're, they're Wranglers, they were brand new. They're good jeans. And he said, no, you're supposed to be. I said, I'm not going to go home and ask my mum and dad to spend money on clothes. And they said, well, look, we've got an allowance we can give you. I said, I'm not going to take money off the school to buy clothes, so I'm leaving. So I left. I went back for one day and I left. And the school had 2,000 kids in it and there was 11 in the sixth form. That's all that stayed on. And then I left, which brought the numbers down to 10. Damn. It was a massive, massive percentage walking out. And I went and I got a job and I actually got a full-time proper job uh, in ICI, which is a chemical factory by us. And I was working, shows you before computers, I used to take memos between officers. Yeah, like uh, running around with yeah. information. I, I, was, I was a message lad on a bicycle and I used to go between the officers and the factories with little notes. So I used to, uh, so that's what I started doing. But I knew I wanted to do something else. So I ca tried to do A-levels at night school, one night a week. And then I remember bumping into my English teacher, and it was the Christmas. So it was a full term gone, and he said, you could still come back, you know. And I was struggling a little bit with trying to keep up with the A-levels at night school. And, uh, and I said, okay. But I said, I can't come back and have family allowance. I said, I can't. I can't go home. From earning £34 a week to £6.50. So the school, I, I remember meeting with him and I'll forever, ever be grateful to him and uh, and the headmistress, he was called Mr. Lowell, she was Miss Phillips, who said, OK, come, come back to the school and we won't tell the education authority that you're here. Because if we tell the education authority that it goes into the system that you're doing A-levels, if you leave your job and sign on the dole, no one knows you're there. 
And then you get 17. And then I got 17. You know what I mean? And you and I, I, I'll forever be grateful for that. She said, you can't tell anyone else. You know, like 30 years later, I think yeah, I can. Yeah, I think but, we're going to get away but, with it. But, you know, because from the school's point of view, they were looking at it and going, like, I wasn't like one of the kids who thought anyone was going to stay on. I was just one of the lads. You know, I played football, did all the other stuff. I wasn't one of them. So it was a great advert if I came back for the next ones coming through. And now they've got a good five and six form. I go back to the school now and again. Yeah, you you, you retain gratitude for the... Oh, uh, ultimately, I mean, they've retired, they've moved on. I saw her as well recently on a recent visit when I went back to the school. She was there, the old headmistress. And uh, literally, literally changed my life. And But it also changed my attitude because it made me think you don't have to stay in the position that you're in. So years later... When I'm 35, you know, coming on to 40 as it was oh, when I made the decision. And I'm thinking, do I want to do stand up? Do I want? I, think, I thought, no, y- you can leave what seems safe and take a chance. You're turning into fucking Tony Robbins of comedy here, John Bishop. No, but you no, know but what I mean? I, listen, I'm agreeing. I'm not belittling it, but it's. But a, do you know what I mean? I, like, uh, I, as we've had this conversation. That's just dawned on me. I haven't, I haven't walked around thinking, oh, I've done that because uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. of what I did when well, I was sixteen. I, listen, man, whenever the, whenever you, you know, the the, the tour in arenas finishes up, the motivational speaking is in you. I can tell <laughs> you that. You think so? Well, you're me that's motivational. <laughs> you can change your situation. It made me realize you can change your situation. You can change your situation. You don't have to accept what seems the easiest. If it's not the best. Yeah. Well, it's a risk. I mean, and of course, there's yeah, always, risk. not always positive consequences to risk taking. However, there is, I think, always emotionally, there is the feeling that it had to be done. That's what I think. And Take, if you don't do risk, it. Yeah. Well, I, what I mean is, like you said, I think I would have lived my life with regret. Now, I joked around about my dad, but he definitely had those regrets that you talked about. But we won't get into that. Yeah, Brian, like I saw that show about your dad, and I was, I was very fortunate and privileged enough to meet your dad. And well, it was an odd one, wasn't it? Because you're watching a show about a guy who made a different decision to raise his three boys, and here's you with the same bloody last name with three boys all two years yeah. apart. I mean, how fucking weird was that? I know, but I'm more selfish than your dad was. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> but no, it's different. No, it was, but you know it was, what? It, but it yeah, was but it was also the 70s. It was it's, the it's, 70s it's, it's harder. The 70s. So it's a little bit more like the 80s when you're coming out of school. Yeah, and exactly. And it's also that thing as well when you when you look at, at your, your dad's decision. And again, this will be replicated by a million people. There'll be people listening to this who want to be speedway riders or want to, you know, want to, I don't know, breed horses or want to do a million and one different things. It doesn't have to be the entertainment thing, but they stay going to work every day because it's hard to make that leap. And I fully, fully appreciate it. And I think it's there's a whole myriad of circumstances that have to be in place for you to do it. Yeah. And with me, that's why I appreciate it was comedy. I would never have left to try and be an actor or something there where I couldn't judge whether it was working because I could go on stage and walk off and people like yourself or anyone else in the dressing room would go, that was a good gig. I go, yeah, yeah, I can, t- I can tell yeah. that that worked. So and I can also, do it in next fairness, week. you were making <sighs> decent money. I, when I say decent money, I mean you were making probably the average industrial wage doing comedy. Yeah. You knew if in two years' time, if it hadn't worked out, you weren't going to be starving. I mean, it wasn't like outlandish. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Do you think that, like, the fact that you had so long in the real world before you became a comedian is like 
an unbelievable skill because you're the rarity. Well, I mean, we know other guys. Yeah. But but the, the the rarer, particularly in our generation, or certainly the last 15 years, you're the rarity of somebody with proper real life experience. I think, I think um, it adds another layer, and I, you know, often, and I have these conversations with my own kids where the you know. Like anyone, they've got ambitions and they want to do things, and you go, look, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if th- that ambition isn't achievable. Now, do something. Just do something, because that's a l- another layer of experience. It'll give you another l- level of depth that you can learn from. And, you know, what I'm doing at the moment, this interview show that I'm doing has been really good, because that, I could not have done that if I, if I hadn't lived the other life. Because the other life is all about getting to know people rather than performing to people it was all it was always being receptive rather than being uh, somebody that you wanted at the front and I'm not particularly like that as a person and I think the lessons that I've learned from having a normal job have been invaluable really yeah, do, do you think because comedy has become I talked to Kevin Bridges about this too do you think comedy became very middle class it just happened you know it, the majority of guys um, seem to be middle class, right? Oh, performance-wise, yeah. 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 Do, do you think you also have an advantage because you got working-class sensibilities that people can relate to you more? I mean, that there is there is something where you say, in terms of a, I suppose, uh, thinking about working-class comedians and who's got who's got a working-class voice, and obviously having the accent that I've got defines that to, to a greater or lesser extent within people's minds and being well spoken makes people think that whoever's doing the talking is posh and they're not from a working class background so you take somebody like Russell Kane who's very well spoken but has got a very working class background mm. so you know your accent in some respects gives people uh, a, a prejudiced view of reality however I think there's definitely an element that stand-up comedy, particularly in England, I would say, and I, I can't say as much elsewhere, but particularly in England, has been seen in recent years as an avenue to go down alongside doing your drama and performing arts. And it, it, so it's come from a different place. Mm. People have wanted to be a performer and stand-up as part of that overall view rather than, I think, the essence of it to be a great stand-up, you almost can't not do it. Do yeah, you know but I, I mean? also I also think that you're a guy that you know had to make a decision on whether you're getting six pounds or or thirteen yeah, pounds, yeah, yeah. and it's 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 not belittling a middle to an upper class comedian. Like I mean, me, whatever. I grew up with a little bit of working class sensibilities in Queens, but educate my you know it was new york new york was working class people in new york made a lot more money than working yeah, class so people yeah, in yeah. england in the 80s right yeah. so i had plenty of money for education and i got i got i didn't have to make as many opportunistic choices as you had to yeah make. but you know i'm not you know this is angela's ashes no this no no, is, no but yeah. no but no but my point is this those stories and the energy of a working class background it influences who you become on stage yeah. so what i'm saying is don't you think that there's an element of not an advantage, but it's 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 a major bonus for you to have that voice because it's another depth. Yeah, it's yeah. like I was saying before about layers and levels, and and I and I'm I'm a huge um, huge Bruce Springsteen fan, and I I read something once, uh, and and it, it, it's brilliant, and I think it's a brilliant quote, and and you know, 
And I hope it's true. I hope it's true because it sums up a lot that I think I have always have in my mind now, particularly if I'm developing a new tour and you're considering, you know, what what you're going to talk about and where it's going to fit in from your life and everyone else's. Because he he wrote a a, a a song called "Can't Have You," and the words of the song are, you know, I've got Rembrandt hanging on the wall, but I can't have you. I've got houses across the country, but I can't have you. And I think it was something to do with uh, splitting with his wife or whatever. Can't remember the 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 reason for the song, but the song was all about. I've got, you know, more wealth than any man can stand, but I can't have you. Uh, and and he played the start the song to little Steve and Steve Van Zandt. And Steve Van Zandt said, well, what's this shit? And he said, well, I'm just saying what I've got. I've got ho- houses across the country. I've got Rembrandt on the wall. I've got cars. I've got... Ju-. He, he, he said, well, why are you singing about that? He said, because that's what I've got. I've got this, but, you know, I'm splitting up my wife. He said, well, why are you telling everyone what you got? He said, because that's my life. He went... They don't want you to tell them about your life. They want you to tell them about their life. And that is what you've got to have. Sometimes if you've never been at that position. So for me, if you want to talk about class or life of experience, the more experience you've got, the more you can relate to a wider audience of people. Well, I mean, it's real. What I mean is when you talk about it, it's real. I don't think it's some sort of decision that you made artistically is... I'm going to mine the fuck out of my childhood <laughs> because there's a huge, look at Peter K. there's a huge market with fucking, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't mean that. What I mean is it's genuine. Yeah. It's real. Yeah. It's not, it's not a, it's not a decision that you made, but I think yeah. that's great that it's there because sometimes I feel that voice can be lost. You know, like it's a, it's a lost voice at times, the working class comedic voice. Yeah. Despite yeah. the aspersions to caring about inequality and caring about the class divide, I think sometimes, you know, I, I think it's important to have activism. Don't get me wrong. I think activism is essential, is really important. But I also think it's important for working class people to have a voice that they can relate to. Yeah, but this is the difficulty. What what happens when, you know, there's a tipping point in your life when you, you've, you know, I spent the first 18 years in, of my life living in a council house. Uh, well, first first 19 years living in a council house you know i've spent a lot longer not living in a council house so i've spent a lot longer even when i had the job you know i started at the bottom but i when yeah. i left the job I, had, right. I, I was doing all right i was you know i was low middle well middle class yeah my kids and i've said this in stand-up my kids have not had the life that i've had my kids my kids are a posh compared to me and I've said in stand up you know my kids are the kids I used to throw stones at <laughs> <laughs> and <Yeah>. it's true <laughs> and so so you you you, you almost don't want to be um, you don't want to present yourself as a spokesman for a generation that you're not part of I can only talk about where I was mm. and where I was at yeah. so now that you're 50 nearly yeah and the, I, this is what you're going to look like in 10 years. <laughs> John, you're, I'm grayer than you, for starters. <laughs> There's no you know what? I'm, I'm so glad you let that gray happen. Because when you went through that phase of dying it black. Oh, it's terrible, yeah. And yeah. You, you, look, you look better for it. And, I, and I'm, I'm just, mine's just going to go. Just letting it go. Oh, let it go. But you got, you got the nice like amount of it now, too. So it's going to look like... Yeah. You know, it's just going to look... You know, 
dynasty kind of dynasty. Yeah, as you yeah. Guys it's going to be Kenny Rogers. Yeah, exactly. You got Kenny Rogers Parton going on <laughs> at the moment, actually. So, uh, yeah, no, but I was going to say, I mean, not that I want to workshop material, but you're heading towards the empty nest syndrome. Yeah, your kids yeah. are grown. You're kind of done as a dad. I mean, obviously, you're not completely out of the game, but mm. you're sort of, you know. They're 18, you know, the, the, the sort of like giving them a spanking section of parenting is over. It's gone, yeah. So it's are, it's you, not, are it, you hoping it, it, to sort of mine the empty nest for the, for the next show? Yeah, because that when I was talking about that thing before about, you know, little Steven saying, tell them about your, do you want to know about your life? Do yeah. you want to know about their life? But what people want to know is about life. And I think, you know, the stage that I'm at and the stage being Melanie at other families have been through and I think that that's a fertile thing so you you know for me I'm also I am I am I I wouldn't say it's a midlife crisis because I've probably had that when I was 40 and I left my job but I I am having a a a mortality crisis like because I've reached a point in my life I think right Start making some firm decisions about what you're doing next year because you haven't got loads of next years. You've got oh, you some next years, that. but you do start thinking like you pick up a book and go, "Is it worth it? <laughs> like, shall I just wait till it's a film because that's two hours? Uh, is this worth it? I may not finish this book. You know what I mean? I may not. I, I've got to pick. Probably now, if I read, let's say on average, the average person, let's say you read, if you do well. 20 books a year, right? right. Let's say you're going to read 20 books a year. Uh, and you're going to be reading, you know, all being, well, I've got another 25 years left. Yeah. That's 500 books. I've probably, I probably own a thousand. Yeah. You know, of you all the books. chatting there while oh, I go Yeah, on this it is. It's 500 books. Yeah. Amazing. So, so, so do you know what I mean? You're probably going to most houses and they've got, you know, most middle class houses have got not a dissimilar number of books. You go, that could be all the books I've got left to read. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying no, on a serious on. level, but no, what I mean I, no, is... I know you're, you're, you're kidding around, which is absolutely fine. I get that. But at 50, you know, I guess that is the age where you start thinking like, right, got to do a will. I got to, you know, yeah. got to do all that. You know, you, you're it's, definitely you're, past, you're, you're past yeah. the halfway point. Well, you say that, but there's, I read something the other day. You start looking for things in the papers, and I read something the other day saying the average age of people who are now 50 is going to, they're going to die when they're 120. I thought, that's brilliant. That's great. You that's know, great uh, for you. I would not have even noticed that story five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now you're looking for that extra yeah. year. But you know what? I, if if someone said to me, like, you're checking out, you're checking out soon, I go, I've had a great run. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's been it's been absolutely brilliant. Like if someone said to me the stand up's gonna stop or the you know, the show business is gonna stop, I'd say, Great, yo, know, it's all been good. Yeah. It's all been good. But like as I mind, this year I just made a decision, right, I'm gonna hit the generation gap, you know, because I I just started noticing You've been hitting the generation gap for years. <laughs> 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 You've been filling that gap. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, read between the lines there, <laughs> folks, if you want. But that's that's uh, no, but but I I just made a decision. Right, I'm 40. There's people in my shows in the front row. They're 20. They're 21 years old. Entirely different life to me. And I hit the generation gap hard, and I found plenty of material in it. Right, but now you're hitting just to me a little bit of a different moment where you're going like, oh shit, like. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. No, there's, there's going to be less people in the house. You know, there's just going to be more time. Yeah, but you know what? I can't wait. I really can't wait because it just... Just the opportunities to do stuff. Yeah. Like be, being a parent, and any parent listening to this will know, is is incredibly difficult mm. because something happens to you where you're never the most important thing and everything has to go into that and all the energies go into it and everything that you do is driven towards making that other thing better. So that you're, 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 you're other, the other person, your child or children, to make their life better, and it, it's it's an amazing uh, responsibility. And then when you reach a point where you go, well, listen, lads, you know what I mean. I've had a go. Me and your mum have had a go, and you're the best we can do. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So whatever happens now, we're handing the baton on, and there'll be a little bit of support, and we'll clap you as you run down the trap. But we can't. We can't. That's it. All of a sudden, you we, you you go. Well, it's it's time now for us to look out other things where we can put that energy and I don't know what they're going to be but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, but you, you did a good job with them though. Yeah, yeah. the great lads. You, they set, the you set them up. I mean, when you think about when you turned 18 to when your youngest is now turning 18, like, come on, it's, it's night and day. And yeah, that, isn't yeah, that the dream but, though? Yeah, but, that's, that, that, but that's, a, that's a world of difference though, isn't it? Because that's got nothing to do with me and this life and everything that's come from this life. That's just to do with the way the world is. You know, like when I went to when I went to university, I was the first one out of our family to go to university. I was the o- only the second one out of all of me extended cousins to go. Like the seventy-year-old cousins, we just didn't do that. We just didn't do that. Having said that, now kids do, they do. You know, like my son is going to university. The youngest one's going to university now, and all three of them are going will be at university yeah. this year. But that's not unusual. We yeah. were, we, you know, it's just the way it's the world is, and yeah. it's a it's a good thing. Yeah. So you don't feel particularly like I don't feel particularly. That was my like, mother's thing. My yeah. mother's thing was I don't care what you do. She actually never cared that I was doing stand up once I got my degree. That that, yeah. that generation. But I, I I think yeah, and I think that that that's reasonable for that generation. You know, people people didn't people didn't do education they didn't yeah. do degrees and if you if you got a degree it was almost a passport to a middle class job it's it it's not necessarily now uh but i think it's it's a great thing for anyone to do so for me with my kids 
I don't feel that we've done anything special more than we would have done. They're not going to university because I've had a good run at doing this. They'd have gone to university if I was still in my old job. Yeah, because education was important and you made yeah. it an issue in it. So you got a new chat show now. Yeah. We can act like we're plugging it. That's no, why you're doing it. you don't have to it. plug it because... <laughs> <laughs> we can act like we're plugging no, it. Not, not that you're doing me a major favor doing this. It's like, so, John, let's talk about the reason why you're doing this interview. Yeah, I know. You've got a great new show coming up. By the time this is played out, the show would have been repeated eight times. Anyway, I suppose, you know, yeah, i got a show. And you know what it is? It's this with cameras. Yeah. That's it. It's no more complicated than that. And But, like... Did you think, wow, this is actually, you know, like, because being, I, I think being a chat show host is the wrong word, but like. It's not a chat show. Yeah. Well, what do you call it? Conversation <laughs> show? Yeah. Well, it's called In Conversation With. And it can't, see, it's not a chat, it's, you, you've done it. You, you go on chat shows and they're, they're, they're brilliant, but, but they're driven towards entertainment. They're entertainment shows. Yeah. So, you know, your funny anecdote's important and often you're going on to plug something. That's all important, and you're sharing the couch with other guests, and that they're all important. And whereas what I've got is one person on one chair just talking to me, and there's no like this. You've got no questions written down. We're having a conversation. Well, I did look at my phone a minute ago. You might have thought I was looking at an email, but I did actually <laughs> jot down. I did actually jot down some points to make sure that I wanted oh, right, to. Okay. I well, wanted I, to hit them. I didn't. I thought you were better than that. <laughs> Well, yeah. I don't have any questions written down, and I don't look at yeah. my phone. Well, normally, this. normally I don't, but in in this case, because you know we've actually been chatting nonstop for two days, I just yeah. you know we run you, out of stuff. You can, yeah, I just <laughs> wanted to make sure that we talked about the things that you know, like just just a few things. That's all. But anyway, but yeah, so it, it's a conversation now. It seems we've gone well so far. If it carries on working, who knows? And uh, your primary uh, purpose is not to make people laugh all the time, right? No, it's a kind of, you know, you're having people in front of you, and that's reflected in the guests, because I've got guests on the show like Rupert Everett, Charlotte Church, Kirsty Young, you know, they're not, they're not stand-up guests. You know, so it, how I, much I pressure got, uh, do you feel to be funny? Like, in the sense of, you well, want to be funny you? sometimes. I mean, you're, you're, the, you're the same. You've done television that's journalistic not comedic yeah so do you get more gratification from that no but i'll just use this as an example i would prefer this to not be funny all the time but i like to be funny at times yeah so i'm just wondering how much you feel it should be funny or okay hypothetical right say you have famous person a on the show and the conversation just gets super serious super quick and there's tons of interesting things to talk about do you just keep going with the series? Yeah. Oh, you can't. Okay. You, you. Yeah, yeah. I got. I don't feel it should be driven by, because otherwise you'll just get comedians on, or you'll use your guest as a straight person so that you can yes. drop in a prearranged joke, and that's not that's not interesting to me. You know, yeah. I I find people interesting, but yeah. to find them interesting, I've got to be in the zone of where they're. Not say, oh, can we can yeah. we get a joke in here? Because that some some conversations aren't going to lead to that. Sure, but th have you have you missed it any time? Have you been nailed it every time? Like like have you misread a situation where you, you thought of something funny, you said it, and it kind of killed the vibe? <laughs> in life, loads. No. <laughs> <of time. laughs> that was the first three years of my stand-up <laughs> career. <laughs> uh, 
unfortunately, not in not in this not in this show. But yo, I have no doubts about it. It will happen. Yeah, it's yeah, inevitably yeah. going to happen, isn't it? That's human nature. You just misread it. Yeah, of course it can happen. Right. So, I mean, I'm not famous enough yet in the UK to be on your show. But you know, if you want to practice the interview that we're going to do in the future, <laughs> now's your time. You got the mic. So, Des, if you want to fire a question at me okay. while we're here, <laughs> Des. Did you ever think of changing your surname to enhance your career? <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. To K or to McIntyre? Yeah, I was thinking of Des McIntyre. <laughs> Myself and John are on our way to play golf. Just in case John had any just small remaining credibility, you know, in the estate that he came from. Now playing golf has just wiped that off the. Hey. Golf's available to everyone. You know what I mean. Golf, golf is available to everyone. The fact that we're playing it in the Balearic Islands in the sunshine, you know, means that we're not constrained by the social class system of the UK. So you can be a working class person and play on the private members' golf course that we're going to. John, I. I really think if it doesn't work out for comedy that politics is <laughs> politics is the place that you need to go because you can be totally full of shit but sound <laughs> but sound convincing that, you know what <laughs> i'll be honest with you golf is something that like i'm i'm getting into because of age i think more than anything yeah it's a sport you can and, play till you're and older and, all that, but, and depending on where you live and where I live in Cheshire, there's loads of nice courses, but they're not that expensive, so there's a lot of like... Yeah, it's actually quite accessible. Yeah, you know, like, like, like you know, the taxi driver who always picks me up is a member of about three golf courses. Yeah, well, taxi drivers that. play a lot of golf because they, they, <laughs> make, they make their own schedule. But I mean, listen, what could be less appealing than two guys, I'm 40, nearly 41, you're nearly 50, on their way to golf, talking about golf and laughing about their stupid bets. I mean, we, yeah. we are past it, mate. <laughs> we Listen, are. There was a time. There was a time not so long ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? You could have been could have been the two bishops hanging around. We could have been hanging around some bar, some nightclub, and we'd have been a catch. Now look yeah. at us. We're no. two middle-aged yeah. men. Going well, I'm not even married age. yet. Like, you know the way married people, they get married and they're like, oh, oh, you know, eventually you won't care. You'll just be into playing golf. I, that's me on a second date. I know, but that's the thing. That's the thing with you. You're, you're, like, it's cool to not be married in your late 20s and in your 30s. Now you're reaching your 40. Yeah, now it's sad. Behind your back, questions are being asked. Uh, People you, are going, do you think he's closet gay? Well, that's, there's, that, there's that question doesn't bother me at all. I know. I, I, know. I The, the I question know. that bothers me is, like, do you think he's got major emotional issues? I know, what I was <laughs> going to say, the closet gay bit, that's fine. But the... The major emotional issues. Do you think he's got a problem? Why is it that it doesn't work out? Do you think this thing about about being connected to someone for life doesn't work for for Des Bishop? And then all of a sudden, as a friend, you start thinking, Why am I investing time in this emotional? Oh. <laughs> maybe I should just leave. Maybe yeah. Maybe yeah. You need some maybe, space. Maybe we should all move on. Well, if, if he's just draining everything. <laughs> If you want the truth, if you want the truth, most of my friends that are in long-term, you know, like, you know, do you think for Des, the long-term partner for life thing doesn't work? Most of my friends with partner for life go to me, listen, man, you know, the whole partner for life thing is bullshit. It's just practical. So, you know, don't, practical, get, yeah. don't get me wrong. You know, there's two sides to that. You know what it is? It's like, uh, 
it's like the Irish economy, you know what I mean? You, you, you invest in it, and then you get that far in that when it all starts falling down around your knees, you think, I've got nowhere else to go, we're gonna have to ride this out. <laughs> <laughs> and the tiger will come roaring back at some point, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. when it gets a fucking, like, the, like a, a, an economic stimulus like Viagra. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's a good one. That you, did, you write that one down for the next time you come to Ireland. You think so? Yeah, well, that's a good one. Yeah. I'll you don't think that's a good one? I don't. I, for I, Ireland, I, that's good. Irish people, come on. Like, I, I, Irish oh. people. Actually, I asked Kevin Bridges this. I might as well ask you. What's your, like, go-to Irish bit of local? You know, like, when you're in Ireland, things you'd never say anywhere else, but you just remembered from your various gigs. That just always gets a good giggle. Uh, you know what? I, I'm not sure I've got... A Southern Irish thing, because I, because Ireland, if I'm being being honest, and and the audience of Southern Ireland is the reason that I, one of the main reasons that I thought I could make a career out of it, because doing all the gigs that I was doing at the time on the circuit in England, they were all short, twenty minutes, get the jokes in, get the jokes in. And I remember going over to Ireland after doing the panel, because I did all that before yeah. I did gigs, and then and then. You know, and I had that liffy laughs moment when I got the opportunity to uh, to go on telly for the first time. But when I started doing gigs and Vicar Street and stuff like that, people would listen to the story. And the Kilkenny Festival as well. I remember going to Kilkenny Festival, coming away thinking, my God, every gig there made me feel at home. Yeah. So with Ireland, I haven't got that kind of unique Irish experience. I don't think so. I haven't got that kind of, oh, I'll do that bit about Ireland. I haven't... Uh, in Belfast, because I've got a longer history in Belfast. I used to go to Belfast quite a bit. Jeez, uh, when, when when an English person says, I have a longer history in Belfast, you always get nervous. Ah, uh, well, this, <laughs> see, you know, my best mate's from Belfast. Right, okay. So I've been going backwards and forwards there since, you know, for nearly enough 30 years. But also, when I had the other job, and I worked for a uh, pharmaceutical company, I used to go to the Royal Victoria in Belfast, which backs onto the Falls Road, and that uh, that's that's where a pub, is it? Or the hospital? No, no, oh, the, the hospital. The, the Sorry, hospital, yeah, I got you, I got you, got you. And that, the the hospital there, that's where they had. There was a, we, I was involved in HIV treatments at that time. That's where they treated a couple. Yeah, that was hospital. real growth industry at the time. Yeah. So I arrived there, and like, I'm talking. Oh, when would this have been? I'm talking nineties, early nineties, before yeah, before the Good Friday Agreement. Yeah. yeah. All that. And I'd flown over on November the 10th. And if you say this story to the North, and people in the South don't understand this, people in England don't get it, because they don't understand it, because obviously I didn't understand it. I've gone over on the 10th of November. Well, the 11th of November in England yeah. is uh, Remembrance Sunday. Sure. So I've gone over, I'm wearing a poppy. Oh! Right, and I've, I've I, it's never, in all my time, I've been going backwards and forwards to Ireland at that point, and to, to the North. I, this thing had never come up about poppies and the association yeah. with the British Army. So I come out of the hospital, and instead of coming out the front, I was going to go and meet me mates. So I went onto the Falls Road, right? Yeah. To try and get a taxi. <laughs> so then I see all these black cabs, right? Which are obviously flying by you. Flying by all the black cabs. <laughs> then I see an empty black cab, and I get in the taxi. I'm sat in there, the, the driver's not in the driver's seat, he's outside having a cigarette. I just climbed into the back, 
who sat there and he didn't get in the car and I'm thinking, what's going on here? And then, <laughs> then this, uh, then this, this woman gets in with a pram and three kids. I'm like, what, what, what's happening here? Oh, the share, they, yeah, because they share they, them. They, they share them because obviously <laughs> they're not the old sexy. So I'm like, well, what, what's happening here? I didn't have a clue what was happening. The woman looked at me, the taxi driver said, look, son, I'm not driving you. I thought, what? So, I thought, so you didn't say what's I going thought, on? I thought, oh, she must have booked the taxi. So then I get those, <laughs> and I'll never forget this middle-aged lady came up to me for whom I will forever be grateful, just came up to me and said, will you do me a favour, love? Will you take the poppy off? The lads have seen it. <laughs> oh, and oh! <laughs> I, that, is, that is specific gig for the... Specific story for Northern Ireland. You know oh, what? so you tell that story when you do a gig I in the north. Sometimes say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it. Oh, yeah. That would that would go down a tree. Because the black taxi thing. Because even people in Dublin might not know about the share of black taxis and that that they're all national. You know, like they're yeah, all like Provo taxis. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, right. So actually, I was thinking about uh, something we were chatting about yesterday at dinner, and I thought I would ask you about it, and it, it came up straight away when we got in the car about golf and tennis. But like, how do your parents fit into the, you know, the new world? Like in terms of the fact that they lived the majority of their life in the sort of, you know, working class Liverpool, mm. meat and potatoes, simple needs. Like, uh, you mean simple needs? You running down my parents? No, you know what I mean. I'm I'm, I'm talking about my mother too. She, yeah, my yeah, mother, the... my mother thinks garlic is fancy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, and, I know what you're saying. Yeah. So, how, how do they fit into the fact that you can take them to like fancy places? And... Uh, it's finding that thing where everyone's comfortable because you know me. Uh, I, I've done it where you, you, it's, you know, take me to places that are dead nice. I think this would be lovely, but it's not. He's not been comfortable. Yeah, around. yeah, yeah. Well, with my, I remember my dad once, because you know my dad worked for Burberry, right? So like, he. You know, but he was still like a guy from 50s and, you know, 40s, 50s and 60s, Ireland and Britain, right? So my dad would give out about the Burberry parties because he'd be like, you know, I don't want to go there, man. They'd be all fucking olives. <laughs> we all fucking olives and, you know, like, like pepperoni on a stick, you know, <laughs> like he, that kind of offended him. Like, like yeah. why, what, you know, what's this shit? Oh, I know, I know. Listen, man, I remember going home telling my mum and dad I was a vegetarian. That was that, <laughs> that was like, what? But what's one of them? So don't eat meat. That's it. I'm not going to eat meat again. And I said, well, what are you going to eat then? I said, everything except meat. So then we used to have roast dinners every Sunday, and uh, and so it'd be like the chicken or lamb or something like that. So you get all the potatoes, all the veg, all the gravy, and it. And what I used to get was all the potatoes, all the veg, all the gravy, and a, and a seven-inch pizza put on top. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was my Sunday lunch. Yeah, I guess she felt like it needed to, you yeah, know, you, you needed like a proper dinner. You're going to die. <laughs> I'm going to watch you die in front of me if you don't eat enough. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, the frozen pizzas with chips and all that. Like. Yeah, because that, that was, again, you know, Early 80s, what do you give a vegetarian? Now the world's so much better. You know what? And I'm sure every generation goes through this, you know, these moments of change. But 
for us, certainly for me, when you look at it, the speed at which things are, are known now yeah. is the frightening thing. And, you know, everyone's connected like this will be, you know, we'll finish this and then you can... Think yeah, boom, it's up on the gone. thing. Yeah, no, I, 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 and, and, and really the question is, is actually, it's very little about the fact that, you, you know, you, you've made a bit of cash. It's actually much more about the, you know, the generation gap. And, yeah, that's what I mean, the life... Life expectancy in terms of, um, or life expectations, where you are, you know, like golf. I mean, you know, I would never have thought I could rock up to a golf course. I'd never but that's a cultural thought. difference too. Yeah, like yeah. golf is more accessible than it used to be. Yeah, but you know, those, those things. Uh, I know what you're saying. It, it's not about wealth or fame or any of those things. It, it's just about that this generation doesn't know its place like the last yeah. generation but it's but but in your case it's a good leap you know for it's yeah. it's just a good leap for your you know for your your parents when you take them to like you know more, but it, but at the end of the day the Ryan Air flight's full of everybody coming to uh coming to Mallorca it's not like oh, of course, it's yeah. not like it's ridiculously exclusive or anything yeah, like you, that. you know we are we are a family that never even shopped in Marks and Spencer's because yeah. that was far too posh yeah, Marks and Spencer's was posh. Now you go there for a chicken coronation, <laughs> coronation chicken sandwich before you jump on the train. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how things change. All right, let's play golf. Yeah, but anyway, I mean, it was a great trip. Uh, we had a nice chat, played a bit of golf. Uh, the major cycle, which I've never done before in my life. That's, I have done a triathlon once, but I've never cycled like up a mountain like yeah. we did in a beautiful setting, oh, yeah. uh, you know, 30 degree heat. And then we finished off with the like a beautiful sort of like accidental few hours by the beach. I had a swim. You sorted out your kids' lives yeah. <laughs> while I was swimming. That shows that shows the path the two bishops have gone. <laughs> you went and did something selfish. You did something just for you. You mean get yeah. in the water? Yeah, but I know what, what a bastard I am. You, you, you just thought. <laughs> There's wants to swim, whereas before I said, look, I haven't spoken to my kids, I've got to phone them, and I had to phone each one of the three, I made three phone calls. You made calls. three, you phoned all boys. I, and, and I had to make, I had to sort three issues out. Yeah. Just things I had to do whilst you're paddling away in your happiness. Well, listen, John. I hope I, you enjoyed that John, happiness. John, I look forward to this podcast in 10 years' time. <laughs> God willing, I don't have to do a podcast in 10 years' time, but uh, separate to that, I look forward to this podcast in 10 years' time where you are ripping the piss out of me because I've had to cancel three times because there's issues with my three-year-old and my five-year-old. And you'll be like, do you remember when I was sorting out my son's college accommodation while you were free to have a yeah. swim? And now look at me. Now you're 15 years away from that, and I'm going for a fucking swim right now, and I don't give a fuck about you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, any 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 final thoughts before we finish? Oh, actually, you know what I was thinking, because I saw it, by the way, in, since we've started these little chats, I have watched your interview with James Corden, which I thought was great. I was very impressed with you, and I was very impressed with James Corden. Thank you. And uh, so... <laughs> You ask that question, which is, it's a nice, it's a generic question in a way, but it's a, it's a nice question to ask. What do you say to the guy that was struggling and getting rejected at auditions and now you're super successful? So what do you say to the guy that's about to leave one management company, not so sure, you know, you're leaving work, but you're not sure it's going to work out. What yeah. do you say to that guy now, you know, 10 years later? Uh, who, 
don't expect a lot of sex. Oh, <laughs> when you get into show business, it's not automatic. No, and you know what? I think, for me, I still believe uh, I'm living a parallel life. I still think I've I've woke up one morning and swapped lives with someone, and there's there's a, a comedian somewhere. Who's at a sales meeting in Birmingham thinking, what am I doing here? Because, <laughs> because that could so easily have been what I did today. And you know, God willing, it all fell into place. But, but Corden, Corden, Corden was saying that thing of when you've had that much rejection and you're a big dude, you know, you're a chubby dude, you assume that it's going to disappear. Do, do you feel oh, the yeah, same? Yeah, you do, mean that. that what, when you become successful, you assume success is going to disappear. Yeah, well, yeah, the, yeah. yeah sorry. So. And you know what? I think there's there's an element to that, but I think it also has something to do with where you're at in your life. Because now, you know, if I was 35, I'd be more anxious about it. This yes, yes. You know, like at my age now, I'm 50, and all being well, I'll still be doing this for another 20 odd years, but there's a point of saying, I won't be doing it for another 30 years. Yeah. Who knows? So to me, I just think every year that I get out of it is is a bonus. And I know that sounds a little contrite, but it is. But it also, it's been so much more than I could ever possibly imagined or wished for that I've probably, probably used up all my luck. And everything now is just an added one. Yeah, but I think, I don't even know, I, I'm not sure if we talked about this because, you know, like a few days have passed and now we've had a few chats. Yeah. But I am really convinced that getting older is the best. Oh, mate. I'm, like, getting older just makes life so much more enjoyable. The, you're, you're, you're a decade behind me. Yeah. And I can tell you, that decade is the best decade of my life by a million miles. Because at 40, you know who you are, you know what you're about. The people that you associate with are all smoother and easier to deal with. Uh, you know, obviously I had the life change as well accompanied with that. And you kind of have an investment in the things you want to be involved in rather than bouncing along with the crowd. Yeah. And also I feel like there's less, uh, I don't know, like... You're just not trying to show off as much. You're, yeah. you're more sure of your position in, 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 in company, in, in, in your business. You know, you, this, it's just less like, not competitive, I don't know if it's the right word, but needy. there's just less energy. Yeah, 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 you're less needy. Yeah, no, that's true. You, you, your confidence in, in your place in the world. And, and that, you know, I'm saying that from people, you know, me and you, who are doing what we want to do, but I, I see that across the board with everyone. You're kind of getting to know yourself. I don't think you're completely there, but I think by the time you're 40, you're getting to know yourself. Yeah. I think the level of acceptance that you get at that age just makes life easier, regardless of where you're, even if you're not content with your life, there's a level of acceptance for whatever you're doing that just makes life less stressful, I think. Yeah. yeah Which is absolutely. just obviously some innate thing that happens when you get older. Yeah, and it's also, again, it's a numbers game, isn't it? You, you, you start, you know, at 20, you got a lot of days in front of you. At 40, you, you're kind of at the halfway point, and what you're looking at is like, subconsciously, I think, am I going to spend, expend my energy in the wrong directions? And so by default, you end up putting your energies into the thing that you've either allowed yourself and compromised 
that you're happy enough with or you're doing something that you're passionate about it's not often unless you're really trapped that you're doing something that you really hate yeah you've had opportunities to get out of it yeah so that's that, that you know, unfortunately it's 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 kind of sad or not sad but it's a bit of a running theme in this podcast <laughs> Well, like 75 but no life death no the fact that like when you get older you know it's just like like you get more acceptance it's not necessarily that life is better but just like shit doesn't bother you as much yeah you know not bothered yeah absolutely not bothered there's loads of things that i used to get wound up about but just doesn't bother me anymore i remember i remember barry murphy you know barry murphy yeah. the irish comedian yeah. he started to not give a shit about the kilkenny football match as much and I remember thinking, I'm never going to be that guy. Like, I remember thinking, that would be a nightmare to me to not give a fuck. And now care. I've got to the age where I don't care. And I'm just like, what a fucking liberation. <laughs> like, yeah. how fucking great is this? I don't give a fuck. But you can't say there's things that... You can't say you stop caring about everything. Because I tell you what, you ask Barry what he thinks about his golf. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I bet he's still as passionate about that as he was. Uh, last time I saw him, which was playing golf with the Kilkenny Festival. Yeah, but I guess what I mean is, you know, you, you, your you think, yeah, change. your priorities change, and it, and 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 it's great, and it's you know, and you know, I don't have a theme on this podcast, but there's definitely like a bit of a sort of a getting older generation gap kind of a theme. I mean, I had Al Porter on; he's a bit younger, and Kevin's Kevin's not there yet, but you know, there has been a lot of people because they're my friends that I've known for a long time. So that, that's a bit, for now, that's a running theme. So if anybody younger is listening, I think they're thinking, fuck it, I got nothing to worry about. You got nothing to worry about. You wait till you get a little bit older and then it's all just falls into place. Yeah. So, John, thank you so much for having me in Spain. Yeah, no, it's you know? been great. It's been great. Thanks for coming. You're, you're a great host and uh, we will see you, we will see you on the journey. On the journey. Yeah. As somebody said, uh, this is the end of the synod. Uh, because there are more than one bishop, so that is a, a synod of bishops. Oh, really? Yeah, well, that's when the bishops get together. It's called a synod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is the end of the synod. That's uh, good. Our, our conclusions uh, will be published. Uh, uh, are we supposed to now, like, yeah. put, put some smoke out of a chimney to say yeah. we've decided yeah. to use one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there will be smoke coming out of the chimney next week. <laughs> Consider the publication of this podcast as smoke from the chimney. In fact, I title all my podcasts. I don't do, like, episode 159. I think the title of this podcast will be Smoke from the Chimney. Smoke from the Chimney. Yeah. Thanks, John. And that is all for today from the Des Bishop Podcast. Thank you to John Bishop for giving loads of time and uh, loads of crack uh, off, off mic, as they say. Uh, I haven't spent that much time with any of our guests up to date, so uh, that was different. Uh, thank you, the listener for not just for listening but also lately really getting involved with the tweets and the emails and the facebooks and the snapchats uh don't forget my snapchat is des buffer my twitter and uh, instagram is des bishop and uh, my facebook is facebook.com forward slash des bishop thank you everybody for getting involved and particularly for rating the podcast on itunes thanks for people responding to that if you haven't rated it yet please rate it on itunes or tune in or stitcher or soundcloud anyway you listen please please do give us a rating and most of all spread the word it's going great i'm loving it and thank you so much for everyone that has expressed their appreciation it's a mutual appreciation i appreciate the fact that you're there to listen and you appreciate the fact that we're doing these podcasts are really great fun i'm going to try my best to keep them going twice a week 
not the easiest thing when I'm in the States, but I will try. Uh, so until next Monday, uh, we will uh, have to say goodbye. But remember that my love for this new relationship of ours still burns bright, as new relationships often do. So until Monday, bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 